early field experiences are a common part of most ag teacher preparation programs. What are these pre-service teachers seeing from their teacher mentors and role models? That's today's topic on Owl Pellets. Welcome to Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers podcast. We share research-based tips and tackle the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. The Owl Pellets crew is Kate Shoulders from the University of Arkansas, Marshall Baker from North Carolina State University, Mike Ritalik from Iowa State University, and Brian Myers from the University of Florida. We are your agricultural education resource across the web. All right, Scott Smalley from Iowa State University. Thank you so much for being with us here today on Owl Pellets. Well, it's great to be with you. So, Scott, tell us a little bit about yourself and what we're going to be talking about here today. Yes, so I'm a faculty member at Iowa State University. Uh, I've been in this role, and my role is kind of to focus on preparing high school agriculture education teachers through the undergraduate preparation program and also through graduate students. Um, Previously, I also spent uh, time as a high school agriculture education teacher as well. Very cool. What state did you teach in? I actually taught in Iowa as well. Ah, an Iowegian from the core, huh? Can we get a fact check on that, Iowegian? Can we get a fact (laughs) check? God, is that the right way to say that? In Iowa, probably. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I thought. Al Pellet News confirms uh, not correct factual information from Dr. Brian. So when did we get started trying to have facts? So when we look at, okay. Yeah, we never do fact checking on Al Pellets, right? I actually, fake it's all news. about facts. Fake news. And we've got some good, this is awesome. So Scott's done some cool research here, which is facts, which are, you know, much more grounded than Dr. Myers. Um, Invention of uh, state names. But when we look at pre-service teachers, man, there's not a much larger issue for us right now than making sure we can fill the shoes of the people that are going to eventually retire and move on from teaching. So there's been a lot of conversation lately about what is it that an ag teacher perceives to be their job or, um, you know, a lot of that conversation within service. But Scott, you've done a lot of cool work with these pre-service teachers, and I'm, I'm curious. Give us some background. What is this study? What did you look at? What were you going after um, in this project? So in this project, we actually have undergraduate students each semester that complete early field-based experiences where they're going out and putting 40 hours in in a high school agricultural classroom. And we ask our students to reflect on those experiences and what they have seen. And primarily, we're looking at what they kind of identify themselves as the role as the teacher throughout this experience. Um, And we looked at just that snapshot of their experiences that they had in the classroom. Um, And what we really found is that they wanted to know a lot about things um, besides just the eight to five day of a teacher and what they really go ahead and do. So it kind of focuses on uh, what is that work-life balance of the teacher Um, How does the teacher go about public relations for their program? Kind of looking at what is their role as an advisor within a high school agriculture program. They also kind of talked about the student successes um, that their students are having within their program. And then also another area they kind of focused on is what was that role uh, or responsibilities as a high school agriculture teacher um, within the school outside of just teaching um, that content area. 
You know, this is so interesting because obviously if you're listening to this podcast, um, well, heck, you may be pre-service, but if you're in service, you know, it's always interesting. I, I love to feel like my job is really important as a teacher educator, but, you know, often we'll talk to, to teachers that are going out into the field and they'll say, oh, I loved my professors. They were so good. I learned so much from them, but man, I really learned how to teach. Um, at my cooperating center and my cooperating teacher, man, I just really learned a lot at that cooperating center. So it'll be interesting to see what your students found because teachers that are in service right now, it's interesting how they answer that question about after the school day. Yeah, you're exactly right. I think it's important when we have students that are, you know, exploring agriculture education and when they come in to observe in the classroom, it's important to kind of show them the whole picture of what it is as a teacher. And I think our students, um, you know, all students wants to know what their job entails. And, and most students know that their high school ag teacher or maybe if they come in a non-traditional aspect to the classroom is that um, they know a lot occurs outside the classroom. Um, eight to five day or, or eight to three day or four day or whatever it may be. And I think that's a, an important portion uh, of their experience. So I'm curious, what did they, so these pre-service ag teachers, they're out in the field and what do they perceive? So with your, with your research, what did you find? Well, the biggest thing is they per perceived in terms of work-life balance that uh, they have to have a, a really spouses that are uh, accommodating and or they really need to be able to look at um, outside of the fact of of what's um, how they balance their life. So they found on a lot of young teachers um, that it looked like uh, focusing on um, how they can get away from it all versus spending all this time at the school, or if they have children is how can they get home and spend some time with, uh, with those individuals as well. And I think that's important um, to make sure that beginning teachers or even somebody with experience is that you kind of define your day at school. You come, you work hard, you play hard, so to speak, and then you go home to your other responsibilities is always important too. Um, I think it's also that kind of ties into the responsibilities of an advisor. You know, as an advisor, it depends upon what your goals are of your program. And I think when we really look at and, and talk with students is that they want to know is how do they coach? How do they mentor? How do they guide students? And I think that's an important aspect of um, how you look at a complete program within a school as well. Well, I found it interesting well, with this. We spent a lot of time on, on this podcast talking about work-life balance, about how teachers perceive themselves. And I thought it was interesting that these pre-service teachers saw this in their teachers just in the short time they were there for the early field experience. But I also thought it was one of the comments that you marked in your paper here, which I'd like for you to talk a little bit more about it. It almost seems that they might be more perceptive than maybe those of us in the profession are. He said, I want the best for my students, but I cannot sacrifice my well-being, family life, and leisure time to, uh, to either them or to maintain a balance. So maybe they might be more attuned to this than maybe even those of us in the classroom right now are. When I find a lot of pre-service students that you, within this study or just anecdotally with other students is that they want to make sure if they're entering this profession, they can have that work-life balance. And I think a lot of students are maybe open to that. Um, maybe we get also trapped into these areas of where we get in this routine and we do work a lot, maybe more than we should. But I think a lot of these students going into it, to, like you mentioned, um, really do uh, want to try to have that balance right from the get-go. So it's so it's interesting to me because, okay, 
So here's a great research study. And we see pre-service teachers that are out in the classroom. They're watching their ag teacher and they're seeing, they're watching their cooperating teacher and they're seeing perhaps, would you confirm that this is right in your research? They're noticing a lack of balance. I would agree that they are noticing and, and aware of that lack of balance. And that potentially could also be from their, their own experience going through their high school program that they saw their, their former teacher that they had as having a, not having a balance potentially. You know, I just, that's, that has such implications. And I think, you know, your study is highlighting such a problem that, man, if you post anything right now about teacher burnout, work-life balance, uh, anything about that right now, teachers just resonate with it. They, they're all over it. I was just in a Facebook discussion this past week on Facebook where, um, somebody mentioned something about just how do we achieve work-life balance from some of the work of another professor. Um, and teachers just started going, really starting to identify why this balance doesn't occur. I think one of the hardest things is if, you know, even if I were a cooperating teacher today, I would have to probably say, do what I say, don't do what I do. Because, you know, so often the teachers, if I think to myself of the most outstanding teachers that I know, I can't think of one of them that has work-life balance. It seems to be kind of an either or proposition. You either are incredibly successful and you're doing all the things, or you have work-life balance, which means you have to sacrifice some of the you know, success as a teacher. Would you, uh, I mean, were students seeing that either or? Did they see any possibility of being great while also having balance? I'm not, don't sure, I'm not sure if we really answered that question in terms of having that balance between, but I think the students were looking at the great programs were the ones that did work a lot. And, but I think we're, we have a lot of students nowadays that look at is that I don't want to have it all. They want to have a complete program that's balanced and more so specialized within the areas that their skill sets are in so they can have that balance. Hmm. One of the other things that kind of struck me here is whether finally was talking about school responsibilities. And I thought it was kind of impressive that these pre-service teachers just spending 40 hours in this program were able to see all the other things that the, the teacher has to do besides just teach ag and be an FFA advisor. They saw them part of that larger school. So what kind of comments and observations did you, did you get from there about the importance of the ag teacher being part of the whole school community rather than just trying to be your own little island there in the back? It was very evident that the students wanted to make sure that they fit into the bigger picture and, and really are engaged. Um, a couple of the students talked about how maybe teachers taught in another content area in a small, smaller school where they may also teach industrial technology um, in addition to agriculture and they really wanted to make sure that they had a role within the agriculture education and, and make sure they're still doing both jobs very well but they also talked about the expectation in terms of um, how they engage in professional development within their school um, but also in terms of some of the students focused on how um, other teachers were actually coaching within the school and, and whether it was volunteer coaching or actually taking on a role of, of connecting with students in a, in a wrestling situation or potentially basketball or another area that they thought it was important um, to have those duties. 
but also, you know, simple things such as bus duty before or after school or even having lunchroom duty. Um, they felt that that was all, all the bigger picture of uh, really being uh, uh, engaged within that school um, and not just being in, in the back of the building as well. Yeah, I found that really interesting. And I might have jumped the gun a little bit because I, I kind of skipped over one of the other findings. They're talking about public relations. But I guess in my, in my own bias, I, I show my own bias here that I think being part of that larger school is really part of your public relations because I can remember the number of conversations I had with parents at a basketball game or at a football game or going to go watch kids at a speech competition or whatever else they were or a debate club or whatever is really so important about promoting your program to do all those sort of things. But I think it's good to, to I'm, I'm impressed with your students. And that they saw that, I think it's important for us as ag teachers to really remember how important it is for us to be part of that school community, uh, regardless of how busy we are. Not trying to add more things, but really prioritizing, um, showing that we are part of that school. Well, I think just adding to that is that they realize that they're kind of that icon in that community. And so many of our agriculture education teachers are so important in really how they can advocate to the community, but also um, how they're serving as a kind of a community facilitator in many aspects when it comes to agriculture, whether it was within 4-H or FFA or, or other community ag-related organizations as well. So just this past week in a discussion group on Facebook, I'm going to read a comment from a teacher that's really related to this topic. And then, Scott, I'm interested in your take. So they were talking about this work-life balance problem and how difficult it is. And this teacher said, for me, the part of teaching ag that can be overwhelming is the scheduling, budgeting, managing the school farm, mowing grass, cutting hay, paying bills, planning trips, reserving buses or transportation, buying feed planning CDEs, exercising show animals, working tailgate markets, watering the greenhouse or farm on the weekends, selling meat, shipping, receiving animals. Don't forget about writing grants, fundraising. I could go on forever. The teaching part is the easiest thing I do all day. An ag secretary would be a huge help in my life. If I had help doing all the other parts of my job, I could actually teach and be less stressed. Well, I guess my first advice is you're first hired to be an agriculture educator. Your first priority should be the classroom and really being able to teach uh, those students that you have day in and day out. And, and a lot of those other things that you mentioned are important, but you have to find a balance to it. How can you empower your students to potentially pick up that feed? Or how can you empower your students or maybe get an advisory committee involved uh, to possibly look at um, helping with mowing that hay or, or getting um, help managing your barn potentially or your livestock facility. I think there's a lot of ways that you can engage alums uh, or even advisory committee at the same time to help alleviate some of those things. You don't have to do it all yourself. And I think that's one thing as agriculture educators um, we, we run into. And, and I did that from time to time as a teacher that I thought you had to accomplish it all and do it all myself. It's so interesting though, like we know the value of modeling. So I taught the way I saw a lot of things modeled. Um, I hate to admit it because he's going to get all ego driven, but you know, Dr. Myers, when I was at Florida, he was Mr. Myers at the time. He showed us and modeled how to run a great inquiry process. And so I did it just like he did it. I did the same projects. I did the same things. I modeled it exactly the way he modeled it. So it's interesting with your study and looking at your conclusions, I'm not sure, I think our pre-services, it sounds like from your study, our pre-service teachers are seeing a lack of work-life balance. 
but I'm not sure we have a whole lot of really great models for how to do all the things that you just said. It seems like the majority of our in-service teachers are, the really good ones are burning the candle at both ends, doing a lot of things. And it seems like, you know, I'm, I'm not sure we have many great models of how to do this well. Would you agree? Or um, did you find anything about, you know, were there certain teachers in your study that modeled this well and did that connect with the pre-service teachers? I think as a whole, there is some teachers that probably do it well, but as a majority of them probably are not seeing good examples. And I, I question if that's not why that resonates really with these pre-service uh, students is because they know they don't want to have to work that much. Um, and you, you hear that quite often in terms of pre-service teachers. They go and observe a great teacher, a great program, but then they come back and say, well, I don't really want to have to work 24-7 in many cases to have a successful program. And, and, and I, I think that there's ways to have successful programs, but you can't have it all overnight. And more importantly, you have to go ahead and, and build in those, those uh, things such as advisory committees or community, have community engagement. And I think that helps all programs run smoothly, um, but because we're not all gonna be able to have in programs that have two teachers or uh, an ag secretary or whatever it may be, um, you have to manage it with, within your constraints and what you're able to do without burning yourself out because we need each and every one of you to stay within the profession for a successful long career uh, versus getting burned out after a few years of, of, of doing really, really well. Well, and I think a lot of that points to our role as in state leaders, whether that be teacher educators or even state leaders in trying to figure out and, and selecting those people we put forward as mentors making sure they're modeling as, as best we can to do that or help help think through that. So when we're trying to set up places to send these students for early field experience, be thinking about that. We're dealing with that right here. We, we're just in the last couple of weeks trying to, to, to really launch our, our mentoring program for this year, mentoring you know brand new teachers with uh, veteran teachers. And we want to make sure that we're not just, we're not defining success as those that have the, you know, that are working the hardest, that maybe, maybe not having all the pieces that, that balance. And it's, it's hard to do because you don't want to make judgments on other people's lifestyles, but you also want to make sure that you're setting up your new teachers for success and giving them a, a measuring stick that's realistic and kind of uh, what you're, what you're shooting for. I think you, what you said is so important, Brian. I think being able to have these students um, as they enter the classroom, having a, a successful mentor, but again, successful mentor does not mean somebody that does um, a, more and more because I think we have to have realistic expectation of what can be accomplished. It makes me think about, you know, one of the challenges, which is I think maybe not the main discussion of this topic, but I think it, it reaches there is, you know, in Oklahoma, they had the teacher strike and they were talking about how we were the worst paid teachers in America and the teachers really rose up. And the teachers, you know, fought for themselves and worked with their unions and they really told the message of how rough it was for teachers and how we got to improve that. But the crazy thing is what it ended up doing is it drastic, I think, it, it's having a negative impact on people choosing to teach because it really is giving giving voice to how difficult the job is and how difficult the conditions are. So it's really interesting when we have all these pre-service teachers that are out. Um, when I see a really great ag pre-service teacher, I know that there are three other people coming after them, trying to hire them. 
And so it's really a tough topic. So teachers out there, as, as all of us start to wrestle with this, you know, if we can't really start to get a hold on this, and I think that it, stops from, it starts at the top. When we have 50,000 contests and 50,000 applications and 50,000 camps, a good teacher is going to feel the need to do it all. But if we continue to purposefully, or really, not really, just inadvertently sharing how tough the job is, I think it's going to be tougher to, I think that could be a challenge for us in recruiting new teachers to the job. It's a tough conundrum for sure. Well, that is a great way to summarize this great conversation. Scott, thank you so much for being with us today. You, you shared some great information with us. If this stuff resonated with you, if you're a state leader or a teacher educator or whatever else, all of Scott's information is going to be on the, the infographic. Reach out to him there at Iowa State. Uh, follow up with him. And, and Scott, thank you so much for sharing this with Alpellets today. Thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Please visit our webpage for more information on this topic and to learn more about all of our guests. Be sure to follow Owl Pellets on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It would also be great for you to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Also, we ask that you please take a moment and comment on our podcast so others can find it as well. So for Kate, Marshall, and Mike, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellet saying thank you, and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers.